Good morning, Five Points Community Church. It is a joy and a blessing to be with you this morning. Would you please turn in Scripture to Hebrews chapter 11 as we consider what God has prepared for us, not only this morning, but looking forward into eternity. We'll begin in verse number 8. Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Thank you. You may be seated, and would you pray together with me? Our great and glorious God, as we gather each week on this day, the day that you have set aside for us to glorify your name corporately, and to consider what your word says, that it might grant us hope and comfort and peace. Lord, I ask that you would bless the preaching and the reading of your word this morning. Lord, would you speak through me, let me uh, set aside anything that I would say through my own power, but would you, through your spirit, grant me the words to say. Give us all ears to hear and eyes to see what you are doing in your world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, arguably one of the greatest works of fiction, in my opinion, is J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, epic trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. If you're familiar with this series, uh, of course, it, it, we meet this young hobbit named Frodo who has been given a task to destroy the One Ring forged in the fires of Mount Doom by the evil sorcerer Sauron. And we encounter various characters along the way in the story of the Lord of the Rings as Frodo and his comrades are trying to get to Mount Doom to destroy this ring and end the rule of Sauron forever. And two of the hobbits that are joining Frodo on his journey are named Merry and Pippin, these two young hobbits who are constantly getting into trouble. One of the ways they get themselves into trouble is by, after they're all separated from one another, they find themselves in this forest, and they meet the tree people, also called the Ents. And as they're having this conversation, Merry and Pippin, they are considering their part that they might play in this great war. They're considering what is it that we two little hobbits can do to impact the world. 
And Pippin turns to Mary after they have this conversation, and he says, maybe Treebeard is right. We don't belong here, Mary. It's too big for us. What can we do in the end? We've got the Shire, after all, and maybe we should just go home. And Mary, after a moment of contemplation, turns to his friend and says, well, the fires of Isengard will spread, and the woods of Tuckborough and Buckland will burn, and all that was once green and good in this world will be gone. There won't be a Shire anymore, Pippin. And of course, this is, this is a work of fiction. But when we consider the events that are going around us every single day, especially right now, as wars are being fought, as people are losing their lives, what is it about war? What is it about persecution? What is it about these things that cause us so much grief and shame? Right? We consider the events of September 11th. Consider the events of the invasion of Ukraine just a few years ago. We consider the ongoing war between Israel and Palestine, and our eyes are just fixated on all of the news constantly coming out. And of course, the, the, the greatest toll that these events take place right, is the human toll, the loss of human life. But alongside with that, the other thing that we often are so captivated by is this idea of the loss of one's home an idea, especially around the holidays, that we all hold so dear, this idea of our home. Because when you lose a home, right, you don't just lose a plot of land, you don't just lose a building, your possessions, you lose what is a deep part of your own identity. Right? If you go and you travel and you meet someone new, after you tell them what your name is, what's oftentimes the first thing people ask? Well, where are you from? Right? What do you call home? Because home represents so much. It, it encompasses so much a part of our identity between safety and security and family and heritage and values. All of these are wrapped up into this one word of home. Right? Elvis Presley popularized the song, Home is Where the Heart Is. And we, we use that oftentimes nowadays, that phrase. But at the same time, you can flip that on its head and say, your heart oftentimes is where your home is. And so as we consider this text this morning, I want us to consider this idea of where is our home. If you are a follower of Christ in this room, what do we think of when we use the word home? So let's lay a little bit of context here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 the entire book of Hebrews could basically be summarized by one word, and that word is better. Jesus Christ is better than all that the old covenant promises could have given to those people, right? Jesus is the yes and the amen of all of God's promises, and he is the perfect fulfillment of the old covenant. And what do we call this chapter, Hebrews 11, right? We call it the hall of faith. We see people, uh, these they're their life story, some of the events that these Old Testament saints went through in this chapter. And look at me at verse 1, right? This verse, the first verse in Hebrews 11, has to be the crux of which we consider this entire passage. Look at verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. 
So every time in Hebrews 11, when you see this, the, the, these two words, you see by faith, we remember what uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says. This is what faith means. Right? The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. At the same time, when we look through the list of people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, it ought to bring us comfort. Because although many of them did great feats in their own lives, we know, because of the testimony of Scripture, all of the failures and all of the faults, all of the misgivings of the people that are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11. Right? We know the failures of Noah. We know the failures of Abraham. We know the failures of David and of Samson and of Jephthah, these different men and women mentioned in Hebrews 11. And so we remember that Hebrews 11, although it is to bring us comfort, it also needs to bring us comfort in the sense that these are broken and failed sinners just like you and me that God gave great faith to. As Pastor JJ just read this morning for our call to worship, Ephesians chapter 2, faith is a gift given to us by God, and that is what we must keep in mind as we consider this passage this morning. Let's pick up Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So let's consider Abraham. At this time in his life, of course, this was Abram before God gave him his new name. In Genesis chapter 11, right, that's the Tower of Babel, that's the descendants of Noah. In chapter 12 of Genesis, abruptly picks up with this guy named Abraham. We don't really know where he came from, we don't know much of his history other than a little bit about his genealogy. But Abram is just off doing his thing, a pagan man in a pagan land with absolutely no understanding or knowledge of the true God. You can flip back to chapter 12 of Genesis and look at verse 1. And it's so abrupt. This is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. It's just so sudden, so abrupt. There's so many questions that we can pull out of this passage. Why did God pick Abraham? Where did Abraham come from? There's really no lead up to this. Like, what was the, was there any conversation between God and Abraham before this? And why did Abraham listen to God in the first place? What's interesting to note here as well is that in this verse in Hebrews 11, verse 8, it uses this phrase, right? It says, he was called to go out to the place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And of course, what is an inheritance but that which a father gives to his son or to a child as a gift from a parent to a child? Already we see here this covenantal relationship between Abram and God. And here we are reminded as well, and I need to emphasize this once again, that the hero of this story is not Abram. We're tempted to read these passages again and say that the human character is the, he is the hero. 
There's a popular song nowadays uh, that came out a couple years ago, and it has this chorus. It says, Give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. Give me a heart like David. Lord, be my defense so I can face my giants with confidence. Not that that's a bad song, and not that we can't glean from the, uh, the, the, the things, the lessons that we learn from the Old Testament saints, but this is something we need to keep in mind, is that the hero of all of these stories is God. And we see God taking the initiative right here in Hebrews 11.8 and calling Abram to go to a land that he did not know. God didn't tell Abram. Didn't tell him exactly where he was going to do or what he was going to do or where he was going to do, where he was going to go. He simply vowed that he would bring Abram and his family to a land that he would inherit. And what was the promise that God gave to Abram? He said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. I will give you a seed and an offspring, and your descendants will be greater than the sands of the seashore. And what was it that call, caused Abram to trust God? Again, it says, by faith, the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence in things not seen. And how often in our own lives... Right, put yourself in Abram's position or, or consider in your own life that God might be leading you or asking something of you completely out of the blue and you have no idea how it is going to come to pass. If you're similar to me and you like to have all of your T's crossed and your I's dotted and have every little thing set in a row, right, God calls us to live by faith and it's not a faith that is blinded, but it's a faith that is completely confident in what he is going to do and what he is promising to do. In August of 2020, when God began to lay this random nation of Iceland on my heart and my wife's heart, we had no idea what that was going to look like. We didn't know what it was going to happen. But as he began to stir in our own lives this desire to go and serve his church there, at that point, it was so out of the blue, we almost thought it was funny. It's like, what? Are you kidding? You're asking us to do this, and yet God asks us to put our faith not only in his promises, but our faith needs to be in him, in his character, knowing that God, because he is the standard of all truth, that everything that he promises will certainly come to pass because simply of the reality of who he is. So Abram goes out by faith, not knowing where he was going. Look at verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Do not lose sight of the paradox of this verse. Abram goes to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. This is the land promised to Abram and his descendants forever, and yet he is there living in it in a foreign land. In fact, they're living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. What is the purpose of a tent? Right, A tent is meant to be put down quickly and picked back up quickly and moved at a moment's notice. This word here for tent is the same word used in the Old Testament for the tabernacle, 
right? That would be constructed as the people of Israel were wandering around, around in the wilderness, picked back up at a moment's notice as God would lead the way through the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. You live in a tent because you need temporary housing. And we know God did not command his people to build a tavern or a, a temple, a building with solid foundations of brick and mortar. That temple was not built until the days of Solomon, which is hundreds and thousands of years after Abram. And so if all of the patriarchs, if they were all heirs of this promised land, and yet they lived in the land as foreigners... They lived in this land in temporary housing, ready to move at a moment's notice. Well, then how is it that God came through on this promise? How is it that God kept this promise to Abram and to Isaac and to Jacob? Look at verse 10. For he was looking forward, speaking of Abraham, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So Abram knew that this physical promised land, which he and his descendants moved into in his own life, he knew that this was not the perfect and final fulfillment of what God was promising to them. Right In contrast to this idea of living in a tent and needing to move at a moment's notice, he looked forward to that eternal city, that would be built by God's own hands. He looked forward to that final and perfect fulfillment, and he recognized that it was only God alone who could fulfill these promises. If you've ever served in the military or known someone, maybe you have a family member or a friend who has served in the military, or you know missionary families, or maybe for different job purposes you have had to move over and over again from your home. Right? You can have this sense of feeling like you don't belong anywhere when you constantly are having to pick up and move because of life's circumstances. It just brings this nature of constantly feeling unsettled. Right? I don't know where I belong. I don't know what God is doing. Do I belong there or do I belong here? Am I a part of this Society in this culture, or am I a part of that? I remember when I was in, in college, one of the most difficult things I struggled with was just that, was constantly feeling like I was unsettled. I'd unpack all my belongings for about eight months in my dorm room and get and at the end of the semester, pack it all back up and move back home and do it all again three months later. There's this constant feeling of, I don't belong anywhere. And we can consider this is probably how Abram felt. Right? He was living in the land of his fathers, in the Ur of the Chaldeans, with all of his family and all of his, his heritage and his religion. And this God comes out of nowhere and asks him to pick up and move, and he does it simply by faith. And yet that, that wasn't the end of the story either, of course. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
right? The, the promise that God made to Abraham was not simply that he would inherit a land, but that his descendants would inherit the land as well, and that they would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And it seems interesting as well here, because Sarah, right, she's commended for her faith in this verse. And yet, if you're familiar with this story, Sarah did not show faith when God first told her that she would be a mother, right? Sarah laughs at the promise of God. She chuckles to herself and and considers that it would be impossible because not only was her womb barren, but Abraham himself was far past the age of being able to conceive with his wife. Right, if we recall that her initial response was unbelief, it's interesting that her faith here is commended. But again, we are reminded through this verse of the frailty of our own understanding, but the overwhelming reality of God's grace. Because clearly God did grant Sarah the faith to believe in the promise, though her her faith was lacking initially. God promised and swore upon his own name that he would give them descendants. She considered him faithful who had promised, right? Her, her, the basis of her faith was not solely on the promise itself, but on the one who was doing the promising, which was God. And we know this, right? In, in our own lives, how much you trust someone depends upon your relationship with them and what you know about their character. Right? If a random stranger comes up to you and promises something, you probably won't give it much weight. But if a parent or a child makes a promise to you, you probably give it a little more weight, and even more so if a spouse promises you something. The relationship that you have with someone determines how much you truly trust the word that they say and the promises that they make. And so if the one that's making the promise is the God who keeps all of, cre- uh, all of creation uh, working together by the power of his own word, then certainly we know that we can trust by faith, God's promises. And what was the result? Look at verse 12. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born many descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This word, therefore, right? If you've, you may have heard this phrase, if there's the word, therefore, we have to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And this therefore is there because God or because Sarah knew that God was faithful. Just as his promise to Abram that they would take them into the land was certain, Sarah knew that this promise of a son would come to pass. And so Sarah, herself being well past the age of childbearing, Abram described as as good as dead, Right, him as good as dead, he would not have been able to conceive these children. And yet God, in his sovereignty, he has the ability to use whatever vessels he chooses to bring his purposes to pass. In this instance, two frail, broken people that God gave a promise to because of his perfect word. And so just as this promise of a physical land that God gave to Abram Just as that promise pointed to a greater reality, so too do we know that this promise of a seed, of descendants, 
points to a greater reality. And certainly as we move throughout the book of Genesis and into uh, the beginning chapters of Exodus, we see that the Israelites did become numerous in population. Right? The reason that Pharaoh is getting so upset at the beginning chapters of Exodus is because they're reproducing so quickly that he fears that they are going to overthrow the Egyptians. And so though they were great in number, they don't seem to match this description of more numerous than the stars in the sky. But here we are reminded, as, as Pastor J.J. just finished preaching through Galatians, but we are reminded what Galatians chapter 3 says, what Paul says to the church in Galatia. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. So then those who are faith or those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, who is the man of faith. So these promises of descendants that God gave to Abraham looked forward to the day when the Gentiles would be grafted into the true vine, right? grafted into spiritual Israel, which are all of those children who have faith in Christ through the promise of God. This is why no matter where you go on this earth, if you are a follower of Christ, if you go to any corner of the globe and you find a gospel-preaching church, you have found a place where you belong. You have found a home, no matter where you go. Because it is the gospel message alone that is able to transcend all linguistic and cultural and ethnic barriers because of the ingrafting of the Gentiles into the promises that God made with Abraham, wherever we find a gospel-preaching church on this earth, we find the children of Abraham, and we find an embassy of the kingdom of Jesus Christ on earth. A few weeks ago, we were at a, a missions conference at Berean Baptist Church in Livonia. We were there with several other families who are serving in different nations around the globe. And one of the families we got really close to are serving in the country of Somalia. Now, I cannot think of a more war-torn nation that is persecuted and driven down than the nation of Somalia. As they began to tell us a little bit about their ministry there, it was absolutely incredible to hear the things that they face. And we are going to a nation that is so apathistic that it just doesn't care. So here you have two countries represented. You have a nation that is so religious, so devoutly Muslim, and you have a country that is so atheistic and wants nothing to do with anything spiritual, and yet the gospel message is the answer to both of those. The gospel message is the answer to every single uh, cultural engagement that you face. All of us are here today as a small part of the fulfillment of God's promise that we see here in Hebrews chapter 11. 
that his descendants would be as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. And that promise is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Right? We don't often put a lot of stock in you know, children's songs, but one song I'm sure many of you grew up singing uh, seems to be so theologically accurate. Right? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? This is beautiful reality that we've been grafted in, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. That this promise that we see that God gave to Abraham of numerous descendants, we who sit here today being bought by the blood of Christ, can say that not only are we partakers in that promise, but we are a testimony to the fact that God has kept that promise to Abraham. Let's move forward. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They did not receive the things that are promised. So has the word of God failed? Right? They all died without receiving the promises of God, but yet they saw them and greeted them from afar. Consider for a fact that when Abraham died... What portion of the land that God had promised to him did he actually possess? Well, we see in Genesis that the only portion of the land that Abraham actually possessed was Sarah's tomb, right? The land where his wife's bones lied, those were the only, that was the only land that Abraham actually had inherited. So when he died... It seemed, outwardly speaking, those who looked at Abraham may have said, well, God certainly failed in keeping this promise. But yet this presents us this tension of where we all live. Every follower of Christ lives in this, this reality between the already and the not yet. We live each and every day in this tension. Right? We yearn for the resurrection of the body. We, we, we live in a, a world that groans because of the weight of sin, and yet Scripture tells us we've already been seated with him in the heavenly places. This is the reality of the already but the not yet. Right, right? Christ is ruling at the right hand of his Father, and yet sin is continuing to run rampant as people turn in rebellion. This is the tension of the already and the not yet. Abraham possessed such a tiny little portion of this promise, and yet he counted that God had been faithful because he saw them and greeted the promises from afar. What's incredible about this verse, these two verses, is that not only does this, this passage of Scripture say that Abram and Isaac and Jacob were foreigners in the promised land, but it even says, what does it call them? They were strangers and exiles on the earth. The entire earth was not their home. 
How true is this for us as well, brothers and sisters, is that this home, this earth, is not our home. So although they did receive temporary realities, they received momentary earthly portions of God's promises. For consider, they did, for a small time, live in the land of promise. The patriarchs did, for a short time, begin to see the descendants of Abraham multiply. They did, for a short time, see that their worship of Yahweh began to bless the nations through his faithfulness. And yet they did not consider that these promises were the true fulfillment of what they looked forward to. They considered that the heavenly realities, they considered that as they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they were still waiting and seeking a homeland. Abraham saw the day that the Lord would fulfill all of his promises. And in this, Abraham saw the day of salvation that was revealed in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus himself says as he's speaking to the Jews in John chapter 8. They're asking him, they're trying to grill him and get him to commit blasphemy. And Jesus says in John chapter 8, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and yet you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus himself declared that Abraham, he longed to see his day, and he saw it, and he rejoiced in it. He saw it, and he was glad. Let this be a reminder to us that salvation from the very first chapters of Genesis to the very closing of Scripture is and always has been through the blood of Christ alone. Just as the old covenant saints looked forward to the day when the Messiah would come and put away the power of sin, and we living after the reality of Christ walking on this earth and dying for sins, and we look back to the sacrifice that he made, it is the same salvation. It is the same promise. It is the same covenant fulfillments that Jesus Christ purchased for himself and elect people, not only from every tribe and tongue and nation, but also from every moment in history. He has had his sheep and his people. It's interesting to note, too, that the patriarchs tasted of the heavenly realities even in the own experiences that they had in their own life. Right? We think about, well, where did Abraham see the gospel preached? Well, consider his own call to sacrifice his son. Think of the parallels that Abraham experienced between God calling him to give up his promised son and God himself giving up his only begotten son. Right? Abraham saw the gospel preached in how God provided a sacrifice and a substitute for Isaac. There were so many parallels that we can see between the life of the patriarchs and the life of Christ. The patriarchs also, as it says at the end of verse 14, 
they acknowledged that the promises of God went far beyond even just the temporary nature of this world, right? What does it say? For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They were seeking a homeland beyond the physical realities of real estate in the Middle East. They were seeking a homeland that was not temporary, but that was eternal and perfect. They are called strangers and exiles, not only in the land, but also on the earth. And we too, right, as we wander this world, as we see the brokenness of our world, and as we proclaim the gospel in this world, we recognize that we are strangers and exiles here as well. We live under the kingship of a king who said, my kingdom is not of this world. For if it was, my people would be taking up arms. But yet we live under the rule of a king whose kingdom is forever and encompasses not only all of the physical world, but all of the spiritual world as well. The crux of this issue we see in verse 15 and 16. For if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one, and therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Here's the crux of the issue. If they had been only looking to that land that God had promised them and brought them to, if they had only been thinking about a physical home, the author to, the Hebrew, to Hebrews says that they would have had an opportunity to return. If Abraham had solely been thinking of this plot of land that God had brought him to, he would have had an opportunity to go back. But because the spiritual realities, because the realities of God's promise were so far better than the promised land, as it says, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one, their focus, the, 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 the focus of the patriarchs, was on that perfect and greater and final fulfillment of a heavenly land promised to them and their descendants forever. What is better about a heavenly country? What is better about finding a home in the very presence of God? Well, the letter or the author to Hebrews actually answers this question just one chapter later in chapter 12. Look at verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 12 and read along with me. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Right here we see the glories of our heavenly homeland that is so much better than a physical one. It's so much better because we partake in the inheritance that Christ won for us through the shedding of his blood. And all of us here, 
not only in this room, but all of those on this earth who are the true children of Abraham by faith, right, the eternal gift of God, those of us who are partakers of the blood of Christ, as we are about to do here in a moment through communion, those of us who are the true children of Abraham, we are partakers in the great promises of God to Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ, who again is the yes and the amen of all of God's promises. And so God is not ashamed to be called his people. God is not ashamed to be called our God because he has chosen us in Christ. He has sanctified us through the Spirit. He has washed away all of our sin through the blood of the Lamb. And this is the reality for every single person who has been chosen and bought and sanctified in Christ. This is the reality for all of us who put our faith in Christ, that God is not ashamed to be called our people, or called, for us to be called his people, and for him to be called our God. Again, it is because of this work of faith. It is because of the fact that faith is a gift from God that God is not ashamed to be called our God. Because when he gives us a new heart, and when he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ, he looks upon us and sees the perfect account of his Son. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 9. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, from, um, uh, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as, in, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I shall call my people, and her who was not beloved, I shall call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And that is the inheritance in which we are able to partake in Christ. So we see in this chapter, we see in this short passage in Hebrews chapter 11, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were brought into a land that was promised to them, and yet they lived as foreigners, they lived as strangers and exiles. God promised a great seed, a great inheritance, and that they would be a blessing to the nations. And the patriarchs recognized and knew through faith that the temporary realities pointed to much better eternal promises. And so this promised land to which Abraham received through the covenant that God made with him, we as the heirs of Abraham through Christ look forward and long for the day when we will enter into our eternal home, into our eternal city, when God makes all things new when Christ returns, the new heavens and the new earth in which Jesus Christ reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. The prophet Daniel 
after he had this great night vision. This is what it says in Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient day, ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ told us that we are not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth, right, where, wrath, where, where uh, moth and rust and thieves do away with them, but we are to store up treasures in heaven. And likewise, we have been given a promise that this earth is not our home. Right? Why is it that we can go out with confidence knowing that wherever we go, the dominion of Jesus Christ is there? Why is it that God has commissioned his people to go into every nation and to redeem a people from every tribe and tongue? Well, it's because the promises of God are completely irrevocable. It is because God makes these promises on his own name. It's because the God who promised to Abraham and made a covenant with him that he would receive a land and an inheritance and a blessing. It is the same God who has promised us that we will partake with Abraham at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So may we go about our task of declaring the gospel to a lost and needy world, and may we do so understanding that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. May we live each day as ambassadors of the kingdom of Christ, and may we live each day placing our faith in the one whose promises are beyond measure, whose blessings are beyond compare, and that this reality is offered to all who would submit themselves and come under the washing blood of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, the, the reality is that home is where your hope is. And as we have been given an eternal hope, May we strive after that day and live each day in anticipation of our eternal home that has been bought for us through the promises of God and through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider your word this morning and we see the realities of what you promised to men who lived thousands of years ago in a land so distinct from ours in a culture that we can't even comprehend. And yet somehow, we are partakers of those same covenant blessings because your promises are true. Your promises are sure. And as those realities, those, those physical realities pointed forward to a much greater reality that was bought and won through Jesus Christ. Lord, may we boldly go about this world as strangers, exiles, pilgrims, and aliens, recognizing 
that Jesus Christ has all rule and authority no matter where we are in this world. So may we make our homes in your presence. May we consider that we as well are looking forward to that day when you come back, when Jesus Christ descends from heaven, having all rule and authority, and makes all things new. And Lord, may we be bold in our gospel proclamation that we would bring as many people along with us as possible. May we be bold. May you give us the strength and the endurance to go forth and to share that great news that there is room at the table for all who would come under Christ. And it is in his great and perfect name that we pray. Amen.